I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Aaron, is, is it just me or is this movie a little uh, xenomorphophobic? just you <laughs> just yeah, like because it's like it's like xenophobic and oh no i get it yeah. um i mean there was a lot of things you could have done that would have been funny like uh like oh aaron my stomach feels a little weird right now yeah <laughs> yeah that but definitely would have been better than a wordplay yeah uh some of us believe in the english language as the source of comedy not your your rascally uh, uh mic performances peter I think words are too important to play around with them. (laughs) Language is important. I mostly just yell. I mostly just yell. And then my voice gets lowered when we run it through the compressor and then re-raised later on when I amplify it for no reason. (laughs) When you're like, you're like, ah, my levels are a little. (laughs) Yeah, it got so, the the compressor was so confused by all the yelling into the mic. But anyways, Peter, let's let's not beat around the bush where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme and we do movies around that theme. And this month, we are at the end. Of a month that you you fools, or is it the beginning? Just, no, it's the end, Peter. We, we've done. Oh three. yeah, we're gonna be, yeah, okay. Yeah. Did you not? Did you not look at the memory. schedule? No. Okay. Take a look at the schedule. Where we record this part later. But yeah, Why this are we is recording Jason X. <laughs> oh my God, Peter! You need. To, I keep telling you to go get that MRI, please. <laughs> Just right after this, if you could. Um, they got they got late night they got late night MRIs in uh, San Diego, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Aaron, what is the show? So it's it's uh, we we love to watch. You don't you don't know that either. Oh my God, Peter, get to the doctors. Uh, it is yeah. No, we're <laughs> we're we're on our our fourth week, our last week of something that I keep trying to explain to you, and I get nothing but feedback uh, and shrug emojis. Uh, it is it is space horror, 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 horror that takes place in outer. Space. We keep saying space, and maybe that's what that's what's throwing people because space exists everywhere. So outer space, outside space, out there. as opposed to inner space, which is inside the mind. And also, if we did inner space, we'd have only one movie to cover. But we're a, we're a month long theme based <laughs> podcast, so we couldn't have an uh, inner space horror month. It just wouldn't work. Uh, but well, side note, we could do Inception and The Cell, and it'd be a pretty good month. I figured, you know. And then I also thought about Fan- Fantastic Voyage or whatever. <sighs> yeah. So we're doing. So this week we're coming to. Uh, actually, I would say Peter probably my favorite Disney movie of all time, uh, Alien. Uh, 
<laughs> Everyone's favorite Disney movie. The, cl- the classic just, idea. Just let you know, we recorded this the day after that. They tried on that thing. So uh, a lot of jokes about... Uh, a lot of jokes on the internet uh, about how uh, Ripley should be a, a new Disney princess or who else could be. I got to tell you, the one that is the funniest to me for some bizarre reason, not to be a Disney princess, but for some reason I find it very funny that Disney now owns the Home Alone series. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope they make their way into Kingdom Hearts 4. I'm just saying some of the crossovers with the Alien series hasn't worked. I say Alien versus Home Alone. <laughs> Dalian comes to the house and like slips on micro machines, get some paint cans in the face. Like yeah. like it writes itself, Peter. Oh my god, he could do a thing where he gets the alien to spit out its tongue head and yeah. then it gets snapped in a mouse trap. This is my Nostromo and I have to <laughs> defend it. <laughs> Nostromo alone? Oh my god. <laughs> Peter Shut the podcast down. This Let's is the one fucking pod I've been searching it. for forever. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, but we're doing Alien, the the uh, 1979 movie. Uh, ever heard of it? <laughs> that uh, that we, we like. Uh, I think it's probably one of our favorite movies of all time. Uh, we've done Alien Resurrection. We did it in our first four months with the idea that we'd, we'd get to especially all four of the original. I think... I think there's probably a Prometheus Alien Covenant uh, double episode in our future at some point, Peter, just because I really like those movies. I know you really like those movies as well. Let's before we get into uh, before we get into Alien and we're going to spend a lot of time on it. So we're going to get get past this segment pretty quickly. I got to ask you the, the ultimate question, Peter. Alien versus Aliens. What's your favorite? I'm actually more of an Alien fan, and especially I think before I rewatched this for the show, I would have maybe said Aliens. I I was like halfway through this, and I was like, this. I thought this movie fucked, but now I know it like fucks. And something about its magic just like took over me. I remember it being slower, uh, more abyssal, more draining, and. I was, like, just as energized as, like, the last time I watched Aliens, which is, like, a rousing action movie, right? So, when's the last time you had seen this movie before? Probably, like, two years, maybe. Two years. Two, three years. Yeah. I like to watch them. I like to watch all the movies regularly, but for yeah. some reason, this one's been a little bit. I think it's because the series got really long. Yeah, I tend to watch Alien and Aliens quite a bit. And I, it does have that thing where I may be saying I like Aliens a little more uh, just because – it has that effect where whatever the last one you watch between those two is your favorite. I kind of feel like it's a little bit for me, not so much for you. We talked about this with Batman and Batman Returns, where when I was done watching Batman, I was like, I think it's my favorite of the two. And then I watch, and then we watch Batman Returns, and I'm like, no, that's definitely my favorite of the two. Uh, and I, I feel like it's a little bit like that here where i'm always watching them alien to alien so i get done with alien and i'm like oh that's the best then i watch aliens i'm like fuck that that's the best uh i like my my uh schemey paul riser in a shameless (laughs) shameless uh corporate uh automaton it's it's really dumb i know that uh just like with terminator and terminator 2 and godfather and godfather 2 these are like the quintessential movies that people always debate is the sequel better than uh, the original so much that it's probably not even interesting to talk about, Peter, but it really is amazing how they ended up basically defining both of their genres within the same series. And I think 
that's why it even separates itself a little bit from Terminator and Terminator 2 and uh, Godfather and Godfather 2. Those sort of exist on the same wavelength where, you know, Alien really is this like claustrophobic horror movie and Aliens is, you know, this big, crazy action movie with horrific elements and – yeah, both are just so fucking good that I can't wait to do Aliens on this show, too. Yeah, I mean, we also have gotten off on being withholding on the show by pushing off our classics um, and making sure that we don't do them right away. And this is this feels like a nice release. Yeah. Um, so, I kind of broke down the series a little bit because what you're talking about is so crucial to why I love the series. Because every single movie is approaching the material with different goals in mind. Yeah. And, like, even when Ridley Scott came back... His goals were different for the two last movies, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. So, like, the first one is a stripped-down primal horror movie that you can read a lot of subtext in it, especially about sexual assault. You don't know that much about the alien. There's still some Lovecraftian kind of, like, cosmic horror stuff because, like, there's a lot of absence of explanation that's happening here. Or just, like, we know some of the rules, but, like, they never conquer the alien, Ripley seems to just, like, get lucky through a few, like, really smart, brave moves. Yeah. They – none of their, like, big plans end up really working. It's just that she ends up having this, like, wild card of being able to blow the ship up and then she can literally suck the thing into space. Like, if it weren't for the technology, she wouldn't have fucking won. Like, and that's why it feels so desperate and and, and primal. Yeah. Two is action horror. It's, like, it's alongside Blade 2, I think, is, like, one of the best action horror movies of all time. Uh, Just, like, a beautiful piece of work, but it does lean into more conventional stuff. I do think this movie and Prometheus both sort of – Aliens and Prometheus both sort of weakened the aliens, where it's now – it's like there's a hundred of them, right? Well, see, I actually would disagree with you a little bit. It's that I don't think – I don't think from alien to aliens they weaken the aliens. I think they strengthen the humans. Yeah, but, like – They've got flamethrowers and shit in the first movie. They were at cattle prods and none of them even seem to, like, make a slight effect, right? But but that's different than, like, the arsenal that they bring to the planet in Aliens. Like, and the also, aliens like... are so dumb, though. Like, the aliens are so dumb in Aliens and it feels like they, they, they it's a different species entirely. Like, it feels like these are, like, the, the backcountry redneck versions of the aliens. They're just, like, rushing in. Uh, well, is I don't know the science behind it, but is like a lone ant smarter than when they're with like following a queen's direction in a in a pack, in a pack of ants, know. as they say. I don't know. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying, though. Like how like the first movie, all it takes is like one alien, and it's genuinely terrifying. And the second one, it's like more rousing. Like it's more like yeah, yeah. Go get is, go but, get those but, fucking aliens. But I don't. But, I, I guess I just don't get the sense that they weaken them. But yeah, we can get into that later. But the that was kind of my feel is that it's it's more action oriented and it's like kind of the optimal action horror mix. Mm-hmm. Um, three is like a European miserablest mud drama. Like, it's not even – it's about philosophy and it's about, you know, stasis and, like, why the fuck even go on bother living. Like, it feels like a Russian movie about, like, potato farmers or something. Like, it is a grim, grim movie. Um, And 4 is, like, a millennial comic book-y action punk kind of version. Like, it feels like it's straight ripped from a comic book. 
Um, five is like gets back into like the philosophical stuff from three. Is five Prometheus? Is that what you're calling Yeah, Prometheus. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, Phil, yeah, I meant uh, Alien versus Predator Requiem. <laughs> That'd be um, six, Peter. Get yeah. it together. Um, but uh, m- philosophical human origins, like, it it, uh, it gets far more into the, uh, like, what's man's place in the universe, which none of the other movies are about. Yeah. And then six is taking six is the first one that feels like a direct sequel, even though none of the cast is returning except for Michael Fassbender. Like six is the first one that feels like a real sequel because it's like it's basically picking up the themes of the last one and putting it in there. But also six is like has a ton of aliens DNA, like that trashy slasher movie thing where it's just like we're going to do a really great version of a like punch you in the face action movie. And like, and in that sense, like six doesn't feel like aliens because aliens isn't really interested in philosophy at all. And like when when six uh, covenant gets distracted, it it gets into the Michael Fassbender philosophy stuff. Like, can you imagine if in the middle of aliens, Paul Reiser and El- and Ripley started talking about fucking capitalism? Like, no, it's not it's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, they're all. I mean, they all are really really good and. Um... I remember being I remember seeing Prometheus and being so surprised that the reaction was negative because I was just in it the whole time. And it it felt like something that people walked away from like, this is stupid because everyone got so mad at the cast, Uh, not the cast, the characters for not being this good kind of scientists. And again, that's not a complaint that particularly resonates with me in general, but it felt like, okay, sure. Yeah, some people were acting stupid, but like, did you miss all the other awesome like stuff that's like beautifully directed and it's so compelling like i it, it felt like that became an internet meme joke so quickly that people didn't care and then of course it's it's uh association with uh damon lindloff pre leftovers redemption um didn't help either yeah. for it to be, kind of become this like uh la- like kind of a movie that did well, but was fun to shit on. And the thing is, the, the most of the complaints, you said meme like, me, a meme complaint is something I've been pushing for years. Like, it's something that got passed around, a complaint about a movie that got passed around so much that people, like, also stopped watching the movie. And, like, now all that exists is the meme. Yeah. Like, the actual, the reality of the situation and actual, like, good dialogue about how the movie is, uh, you know, actually works and functions just gets lost because the meme gets passed around so much that, like, it, it and it's brainless. Like, especially the, why not run sideways while the ship is rolling after you? Like, watch the fucking movie. The ship is, like, 500 feet yeah. wide. It doesn't matter which way. Yeah, she's hoping – like, she can run left, she can run right. It doesn't matter. She's going to get crushed by the thing. Running left will just mean that the thing catches up with her faster. Like, Yeah, it's uh, – it was frustrating to see it reduced to that. And I feel like that affected Alien Covenant in this weird way. I like uh, I like Prometheus slightly more than Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant is more fun, I think. But yep. Prometheus is more thought-provoking maybe? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, this is something I want to note real quick. I don't – Let's see. The director's cut of Alien 4 Resurrection is the theatrical cut, which is interesting. Uh, um, same with Alien. We should probably talk hmm? about that. Alien. Yes. We'll, we'll, we, we'll, uh, we'll get there in just one second. I'm going to count down. So, okay. four, 
there's uh june got his cut in the theaters yeah on the on the dvd there's an extended cut do not watch it a lot of it is just shitty cgi stuff and it really like the basketball game goes for the length of an entire basketball game what 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 is a cute scene in the theatrical cut and you get to see sigourney weaver legitimately pull off a cool basketball stunt is uh stretched out to infinity and then we go to three, which, yeah, Fincher never, never came back to do a director's cut, but there's an assembly cut completed by, completed by another guy based on his notes, yada, yada. Two, Cameron came back <laughs> in Cameronian fashion and, like, was like, I really liked these 15 minutes, these 20 minutes. Let's put them back in. And, like, there will be an endless debate on which is better. I'm team theatrical cut. Team, um, team director's cut. I feel like everything that they add, like, I hate the fucking, I hate all the stuff that's on the planet before we meet Newt. I feel like it ruins the 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 vulnerability of Newt and the mystery of the place. I really hate those sentry gun scenes because it's just like, it further pushes it away from horror into, like, action. It's just, um, like, technology porn stuff that James Cameron gets off of. No, because like, it, it adds, it like, adds shots a ton of stuff of Sigourney Weaver back on the base, too, which I really like. And there's all these shots of. I mean, there might be a scene or two I like better in the. I like in the director's cut of Aliens, but like most of it, I don't think is worth the. the but there's extra. actually. Am I am I crazy or is there actually two? Because I feel like there was a special edition which added some footage, and then a director's cut that added even more. Fo- I feel like there's actually three versions of Aliens. There's probably there's probably five because James Cameron. Like, he was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'd love to get back in the editing bay and keep – like, he's secretly – he's a George uh, Lucas that we don't hate yet and we just still find his, like, stubbornness enticing for some reason, right? Like, he loves going back and meddling with the old stuff. What is it? Like, the reason that The Abyss still hasn't been released on Blu-ray or HD is that he's been rumored to have got more money from Fox – and has been like working on it for like years in between other stuff. Yeah, and supposedly soon they're going to be getting out a Blu-ray cut of that, which is why I've never seen the movie because oh, it, really? It's good. Yeah, because I have I the didn't old feel DVD. Like watching some shitty pan and scan DVD. I, have, um, I mean, I have the widescreen version, but I'd oh, like okay. to see it in HD. It's out of print though on regular DVD. It is, yeah, yeah. From like so, and then hands. we get to one Alien, the original. Ridley Scott's theatrical version is his director's cut, but he came back to do another director's cut. And we talked about this on the Legend episode on Legend. Yeah. And the cut is, I don't know if you remember this, the cut is shorter. It's shorter technically. And there's no added scenes. It's just that he took different takes of scenes. No, there's added scenes. The It's shorter and they took... Because there's they the took scene different of alternate takes of stuff, and I yeah. don't think there's new stuff. Is there? Yeah, no, there is. There's the scene where they find uh, where Sigourney Weaver finds the entire crew all wrapped up in the cocoons for facehugger implantation. Oh, you're right. All right, so so okay, let me do that again. But it is shorter. You're right that it's there's shorter. A, but yeah, it's 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 shorter. And there's a few small scenes, but th- primarily the big difference is, apart from a few small scenes, is that there's alternate cuts of different uh, scenes that he, like, went back in the bay and he was watching them and he just liked them better. And sometimes they would get to the scene, they would get to the, the meat of it faster or more uh, accurately to his vision or whatever. So, he, like, liked those takes better. And then that's what he did for the director's cut. So, like, the director's cut is not that different, 
But it is interesting for like the hardcore fans. And I didn't watch it this time around. I did watch it once when I first got the quadrilogy box set. Um, but yeah, it is. It is. He he's very clear that it's his uh, the 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 theatrical cut is his, his preferred director's experience. He actually says in the documentary that he agreed to call it directors the director's cut for marketing but then has an intro on the dvd saying this is not my director's cut this is just what they made me uh put on here and they actually released it to theaters again uh, as a way to kind of drum up interest and and the only reason they did that in the first place is that someone found a box of footage like tons and tons of footage uh alternate takes deleted scenes uh in a like a warehouse somewhere in england and they called Ridley Scott, and he's like, "What's all this then?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, he really just wanted an excuse to look at it, which is yeah. like, super understandable. So yeah, it really was just one of those happenstance things where they found it, and then he's like, uh, "I don't know if the studio, I don't know if it was his idea or the studio's idea. Like, you wanna, you wanna get this bad boy back into theaters under a director's cut, huh?" And uh, and he did while still saying, "Yeah, no, the the original, the original is is my director's." Vision, which is much different than Legend, which uh, that was not the case at all. Uh, so, yeah, this – I mean, I, I really wish I would have seen it in theaters back – I think that was 2003 uh, when it did its little re-release. But I've never seen this in theaters. I, I haven't seen any of the Alien – so I think the only Alien movie I've ever seen in theaters is – oh, wait. No, I've seen two. Uh, they're, they're named – Alien versus Predator and Alien versus Predator Requiem. <laughs> you didn't see Prometheus and Alien Covenant in theaters? I didn't. Uh, Alien Covenant was came out especially when it was tough for me with kids. And I don't know. I, I think with Prometheus, I just wasn't. I've gone through phases where I just am like, well, I'll just wait three months. I got a big TV. Who cares? Uh, that's kind of changed recently that since we have the Alamo and I can reserve seats and some other things that some people like. Especially when you're at work and you're like, what am I going to do tonight? Like the idea of reserving a seat is like, okay, that, that at least takes care of some of the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't see, I didn't see Prometheus in theaters. Uh, but yeah, so I've only seen it. If, if they do, uh, if they do a screening at the Alamo at some point, I would love to go see it. Or any of the other Alamo just seems like the most likely. What's so funny, and why don't we talk about our first time watching it now, and then we'll just talk about the movie on the other side as long as we're kind of doing some of this background stuff. So, what's so funny about this movie? So, the first time I saw it was uh, in the basement of my parents' house when I was probably like sixteen, uh, and I did watch them in order. I, I, and but, it, but like actually a long break. In, maybe I was 17. I might, it might have been a senior because I feel like I watched Alien and Aliens and then my freshman year in college watch, spent one night watching Alien 3 and Resurrection. So it took me a little bit to get to the, the last two. Um, and the reason I remember it is it was always hard watching rated R movies at my parents' house. Even at that age, they were just very like, we don't – there's other little kids everywhere. Uh, <laughs> so I watched it in our basement. And uh, in our basement TV at the time, uh, we it, it was basically on a uh, an old Commodore sixty four monitor, uh, and we would watch movies on it on a little VHS thing. So I watched this. I, I think I want to say that screen was maybe fifteen inches, maybe thirteen inches. Like it wasn't big, mm-hmm. maybe, which is not always the best way to watch a movie like Alien, but. To be honest, I watched so many movies for the first time on that, like, I can't imagine going back now to that. But that's that was, like, what I watched movies on. And 
to the point that because I watched it this time on on my projector, and I remember when Prometheus came out, and everyone was talking about the space jockey scene, and that they took the space jockey. And I remember for some reason that not standing out to me. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, is it because I watched it for the first time on this tiny TV that like I it just looked like ship to me? Like did I just think they were in a ship and I couldn't even tell that it was supposed to be the outline of a person so that later on I was like, oh, space jockey. Interesting because – when I watched it this time on a much bigger screen, I was like, oh, it does very much look like just like a gun. Unless you're – I can clearly see this is a space jockey on a big screen. But I just remember feeling like I had completely missed what the space jockey was at some point. And then like re-watching the movie, it was like, oh, yeah, of course, the space jockey. Um, yeah, I think I was on a similar page when I first watched it and, and – this is an interesting thing with Ridley Scott movies. He is such a glutton for uh, intense set design details and like the finery that every time that you get to watch one of his movies on a new format, it becomes a new movie. Yeah. The first time I saw Blade Runner on Blu-ray, I like shit my pants. I was like, you can see like... Like in the police station scene, like you could see like wanted posters and all these filing cabinets and shit. Like you can really get a sense of what M. Emmett Walsh's office is like and like what Deckard's apartment is like because it has the movie is so full of inky blacks and like these like uh, the space between like pure black, pure black dark and like dissolved light and um. So when I first saw Alien on DVD, my brother, my brother made me watch it because he was like, he's my little brother. I'm going to make him watch all the horror movies I'm watching. Yeah. And we rented it probably, I don't know, 2000, 2003, somewhere in there. I was super into it. It scared the shit out of me. And after that, I like realized, I was like, oh, I've seen one of these movies before. And I realized I had already seen Alien Resurrection. But one, like, just left this indelible mark on me because it's such a pure film. Like, every shot in it is burned into my subconscious in a way that, like, almost no movies get the the privilege of doing. Like, almost no movies have that sort of impact on you where you're like, uh, yeah, I know this scene goes to this scene goes to this scene. And I can probably I can probably tell you, like, exactly how this person dies or like what the alien looks like in like textural detail in every shot in the movie like i was obsessed with it when i was like 10 to 13 you're right like it is amazing how how dense ridley scott's movies are and how dense this movie is uh but it, it just shows you how much like this movie was still incredibly effective and i still loved it without really being if, Without truly, like, experiencing it in any way that people would would deem acceptable, you know? Yeah, but at the time, like, that's just what we did. Like, you scooted your ass closer to the TV. You turned yeah. off all the lights to make yeah. sure that your eyes could adjust to the screen while, like, you just – you soaked in it. You that say was also the rosary. Yeah, you no, say the sorry. rosary. Um, it is interesting, though, that back in the day – like, there were movies I would not watch during the day because TVs were so shitty then. Yeah. That, like, 
the light would just reflect off the glass. Oh, and, like, yeah. You couldn't see anything. <laughs> like, I just legitimately, I was like, well, I'm not watching this movie during the day because like, I, won't, I won't be able to see anything. Yeah, that's why I, uh, for, you know, some people like, uh, for nostalgia, they like watching stuff on VHS tapes because it has a certain, like, aesthetic that they enjoy. I, I try to get back into the nostalgia thing by, uh, I watch my movies on DVDs and Blu-rays, but then I, I just take a big old flashlight, like a halogen max power and just shine it on the tv <laughs> so like one one fourth of it is blurred out at all times yeah I, I mean sometimes i try to move i move the flashlight a little like i would my head or like try to get a curtain but then you know can't can only stop the sun so much especially because <laughs> you're in you're an asshole 22 year old that doesn't understand that curtains are also a thing you could get on top of the blinds that come with your apartment yeah i was a i was a whatever 10 or 13 year old so there was zero way i was like mother i I wish for you to buy some new curtains. I was thinking maybe blackout. Like there was, not, there was Mother, no way I was gonna. I'm not able to see the gut, gut destroying. <laughs> yeah, it, with it, the exactly. curtains if I, that you've picked it, out. If if I uh, if I brought any of this, these details up to my mom, she would have been like, "Wait, you're watching what?" Yeah. So so yeah. So we I, we both got to watch this. Uh, I'm assuming in HD. On some bigger TVs than we used to huddle around and... Hot dog. What? We watched it on hot dog. You watched it on hot dog. HD. Oh, boy. (laughs) Peter. (laughs) That's what it stands for, right? You know... Hot dog, because you look look at that that, that sharp picture and you go, hot dog. Uh, Actually, I think it stands for hard dick, because that's what I get when I look at a really good picture. Yeah, I don't think that's it. I think it's hot dog. I think it's hard dick. <laughs> hot dog. Hard dick. <laughs> I hope someone's in their car yelling, high definition. <laughs> well, great. Now you gave it away that we know the answer, Peter. Uh, no, I was just trying to come up with some nerd answer. It's clearly hot dog. Um, <laughs> yes, continue. We both watched it on yeah, so, yeah, HD, but- whatever that stands for. Yeah. Whatever. It's a mystery. What does 4K stand for? <laughs> Tell you what. It's a ton of hot dogs. It's good. They didn't name it 3K. <laughs> <laughs> they, do you think they had the technology for 3K and they were like, uh-uh. Well, it is funny that there is 2K and 4K. So mm-hmm. someone must have been like, let's call that 1080p. <laughs> Um, anyway, Peter, do you want to talk even more about 1979's masterpiece? Come on, Eileen. Oh, I'd love to talk about the film Eileen, which is how you say the name of Ridley Scott's film. Eileen. Eileen. You lean. We all lean for ice cream. (laughs) I thought you were doing uh, Lean Back by the Fat Joe. I don't even know how that goes. I used to lean know it. Back. Lean I think back. I think that's all it is, right? Like I was, it, it, I was trying to think of the intro to lean back, yeah. and I, I came up empty. Yeah. But you know what doesn't come up empty? Dance. They just pull up their eggs and do the chest burster. Let's you just talk. cut all this out. Or, or, we yeah, already entered it. Please cut this out. Let's just talk about aliens. Let's just talk about aliens. Are you a 
alternate taglines? Peter, I just said I was. I wanted you to do like a, a cool, smooth radio thing where you go like, Aaron, do your thing. Aaron, why don't you uh, pop off with some of your alternate taglines for the film Alien? Thanks, Peter. I didn't prepare at all, and this movie has a great tagline. Very, it would be very hard to come up with a good one. Uh, just coming in from the street uh, with, with my tagline, let's say, uh, in space, no one can hear you. No one can hear you. No one can and hear you. No one can hear you. Because in space, uh, it's true. I mean, this movie, factually accurate. No one can hear you scream. But it feels like they got specific in a way that was unnecessary. Because just no one can hear you, Peter. Yeah, they can't. You can't yell. No one can hear you. No one can hear you. You can't speak at a normal speaking volume. Definitely not. Nope. You can't. No one can hear you. Uh, Gab? Uh, No one can hear you. Uh, uh... (laughs) Whisper, Rumor? don't even try. Don't, don't try even try. I mean, if you want people to hear you, to be clear, whispering is a terrible idea. But in space, doubly terrible. Uh, they say in space, no one can hear you whisper. On Earth, most of the time, people can also not hear you whisper. You know the only thing you can hear in space. Uh, all other sounds can hear. Can hear yelling, talking, whispering, uh, yelling. I think I said that again, but I'm just so revved up about it. Uh, I think in space you can hear um, your one sound. torpedoes. Nope. Incorrect. Mm. Uh, that's a Star Trek is a fiction, unlike this, which is a documentary. Uh, <laughs> but there is one sound you can hear in space, Peter. You know what that is? A uh, spaceman farting. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> That'd be terrifying if that was the one resonance that broke through the vacuum of space. <laughs> Let's make a uh, home improvement uh, uh. episode. Where it's just Tim Taylor trying to scream at his kids because they are lost in space and, and drifting out and nothing works. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, oh, oh. And then he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Dun, 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 I lost my children in space. <laughs> <laughs> but I could grunt at them and I discovered something, a miracle. Um, anyways, yeah. So, Peter, what's the plot of this movie? Should uh, take the- 10 seconds. <laughs> the plot is a bunch of space uh, space miners are uh, on the ship, the Nostromo, and they are in hypersleep. They wake up. They realize they were rerouted to a planet where they uh, the, the ship's autopilot mother-AI uh, has basically said, Corporation says uh, you have to check out any signs of alien life or you don't get paid and also- No, that's not what they go down there for. They have to, they get a distress call. They, and they have get, to answer any a distress call. It's a fake a call, distress call. They get a call, yes, and they said and the corporation says any signs of alien life you have to you have to investigate. Yeah. Uh, on punishment of complete forfeiture of, of shares. shares. Yeah. Get, but they all, they have to investigate the like, distress call. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um so and then Ripley immediately is like I don't think this is a distress call whatever. Um I land on the planet. John Hurt is like, I really want to get face huggered. Uh, he gets face huggered. They're in this HR Giger uh, ribbed plane. And they essentially take off with John Hurt having this alien face hugger attached to his face. And they break quarantine. Ian Holm is trying to investigate it, yada, yada. Um, they get the face hugger off. And then, uh, do you guys know what happens in this movie? So, who's you guys? Uh, uh, the facehugger. Talk to puts, me! It puts, an, it puts an alien in your belly, 
And the alien's like, hey, I don't like being in here. And then fucking chews its way out. And the 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 alien, which is, a, you know, a, a, a baby, uh, runs away. Cause and he goes, hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, <laughs> yeah. my ragtime girl. This movie is so fucking iconic that, like. It survived I, that scene. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. But the, the baby gets, uh, the baby runs away, grows up to be a big boy while they're all terrified and hunting it on the ship one by one. It grows up to be a big boy so quickly. I know. I know. You figure like, Where's well, we have 18 boy? years. Not so. No. <laughs> but the, the alien uh, is hunting them one by one on the ship. It's incredibly smart. It's incredibly stealthy. It's incredibly violent and powerful. And uh, it kills Harry Dean Stanton, which uh, makes him I, – I think this alien is canceled after that. Um, I feel like you have to be powerful and violent to kill Harry Dean Stanton because he, he's a very strong man that went on a long time. He's a human cockroach who is unkillable. Yeah. Uh, if, if the 60s and 70s Hollywood didn't kill Harry Dean Stanton, apparently it takes a fucking alien to do it. Or the cocaine 80s, like just nothing killed the guy. I mean, he um, looked the same. Forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah, he had, he did have the Wilford Brimley effect, where Wilford Brimley looked like Wilford Brimley at thirty five, and then yeah. just kept on trucking. They're hunting him through the ship. It's a very simple sort of. Uh, they they come up with a plan. The plan fails. Come up with a plan. Plan fails. Eventually, it's all winnowed down to uh, Ellen Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, who has to try. She has to. She tries to blow up the ship. And take an escape pod. There's a complication there that we'll get into that's very interesting. But essentially, the ship is blowing up. She needs to take the escape pod. Oh, shit. The alien snuck away on the escape pod with her. Uh, and then she blows it out of the goddamn airlock. And then uh, and then shoots it with a harpoon and then blows it up with the fucking uh, jets on the escape plane. And then essentially, she settles in for a long winter's nap with uh, the cat, Jonesy. Um, yeah, I think you did leave up the part where she uh she picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been uh lives in a dream waits to the window wearing the face that she mm-hmm. just keeps in a jar by the door who is it for um i think it, i think it was for ellen ripley <laughs> <laughs> yeah ellen ripley yeah ellen ripley <laughs> <laughs> she looks at all the lonely people because they're all dead they're all dead. They're so lonely. That was the, this dead. is the movie the Beatles wrote the song about, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Who is it for? Maybe the cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonesy sounds like a rejected member of the Beatles. <laughs> Jonesy! <laughs> you can't play drums for squat! <laughs> oh, I'm going to come back and join Pete Best and we're going to beat you guys at all the concerts. <laughs> oh, oh, sure, sure you will. Sure I'm you will, John Jonesy. <laughs> beat it, Jonesy. I'm Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, our, our Paul McCartney is a pretty good, grumpy... Uh, Ridley Scott, I feel like. Oh, definitely, definitely. And also, last week we did for Sunshine. I think my Danny, <laughs> Danny Boyle, Boyle is the same thing. You know, Danny Boyle is Scottish, right? So it should. I probably could have had some more fun with that. Instead, it was just angry Cockney. The funniest part on the uh, so I listened to the commentary, but I only had to was half paying attention uh, just because I wanted to watch more as I was drifting off to sleep of Alien. And the funniest part is 
uh, I would recommend it just because Ridley Scott is always kind of a, I'm just going to state this thing matter of factly, whether it's, whether it's uh, something I should say or not. But uh, he went senile at 40. It's great. Yeah. But he's like talking about how good the script is by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote this. And he's like, um, oh, Black Betty, Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> but he was like, uh, he was like, well, uh, and I'm pretty sure Dan thought he was going to get to direct this picture. Uh, but he was not uh, <laughs> I, like, but he wasn't even saying it to be an asshole. He's just like. But the studio wanted uh, someone else, so I, I don't think I don't think that ever made Dan truly happy. <laughs> like he's like just stating, like, "Yep, no, Dan was pissed and uh, not happy about it." Uh, but it, it actually wasn't Ridley Scott; it was Walter Hill that was supposed to direct, and then he had to drop out and uh, had seen the Duelists and recommended to 20th Century Fox that uh, that Ridley Scott should direct. Yeah, he's like, "I saw that." That picture of the two men who shoot each other is pretty cool. You guys should bring him in. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Does he sound as uh, difficult to understand as you, Walter Hill? It's it's basically the same with an English accent, so <laughs> you're going to be in really good shape not understanding a thing. Walter and I are best friends. <laughs> hey, 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 Walter. Oh, Walter, come over here. You guys should watch, really. <laughs> Uh, uh, gentlemen, can you both take the uh, several pounds of peanut butter out of your mouths? <laughs> well, yeah, that's why they couldn't call the movie Star Beast like Dan O'Bannon wanted, because uh, they neither of them could say Star Beast. They had to Starbeast. 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 Yeah, take one on Starbeast. <laughs> Let's just call it Alien. Take one on Alien. Uh, okay. Are you saying Walter Hill is a, is a Harkonnen? I say we also just add Bob Hoskins to this mix and just make a make a gravel party. <laughs> My favorite thing about Bob Hoskins is that like what about me? There's a scene in Enemy at the Gates, which is not a very good movie, but uh, there's a scene in Enemy at the Gates where Bob Hoskins w- walks in. He's just like, "I'm Nikita Khrushchev." <laughs> Bob Hoskins ruled, but I I've been watching Hook a lot because my daughter really likes it. Yeah. And every scene he's in is like, Captain. Smee, <laughs> <laughs> Smee, what about Smee? What about Smee? Uh, yeah, he's, his jaw never moved. Do you think maybe he had lock a jaw? Uh, no. Mm, okay. I think he died from something different, Peter. From all those pipes doing, making Mario's. Here's one thing I kind of want to talk about this movie, and it's yeah, not but you, even. But you did say something right. This is Ridley. Not that you said a lot of wrong things, but you said I something see. very true. This is literally Ridley Scott's second movie. Like the Duelist was was his true first movie. That the previous the previous work was all basically TV work. Yeah, and uh, Dan O'Bannon had basically written the script. He had written uh, John Carpenter's first movie as well. I shouldn't say as well because this is not Ridley Scott's first movie. But he wrote a uh, Dark Star. Which uh, has an alien component to it, and Dan O'Bannon was very unhappy with that design, uh, which ends up looking like a big beach ball. So I guess I like Dark Star, but uh, I understand why if you wanted a creepy alien uh, and someone and John Carpenter's like, uh, "Hey, let's just get a beach ball." That's <laughs> uh, a perfect John Carpenter impression. Don't even question it. I can see why that would upset you. So he was basically like, I want to focus more on that and wrote this script called Star Beast. That was all about the alien. Of course, they brought in uh, H.R. Giger 
to design it. And then, and then and then they needed to keep having him redesign it because he was making it too sexual, which is a hundred percent true. That like, do, do you um, understand? The alien is also a cock, and yeah. the cock has a cock inside of its cock. <laughs> it. Uh, I didn't know that until until researching for this podcast that they kept being like, "No, we like it, HR. We like it, but like." It's it's too obviously a vagina and a penis. Can we like <laughs> maybe make it like metaphorically in the light right? And he's like, "Here's another vagina, everyone." <laughs> like, no, that that literally is just an anatomic drawing of a vagina. I know, but on someone's face, <laughs> um, it's very different at this stage. <laughs> it's it's a god. And going um, through the dark transformation. <laughs> Can we pa- talk about Dan O'Bannon real quick? Because I think he. Sure. Uh, and then he, I want to talk about. about uh, I want to talk about Pat Oswald's thing about why this movie's so good. Pat Oswald. Um, Dan O'Bannon is sort of a classic. We love to watch uh, screenwriter because the dude did. Yes, he did Carpenter's first real movie. Um, and he also wrote Dead and Buried. He wrote a fucking segment for Heavy Metal, which I don't know how we haven't done Heavy Metal yet. Um, Never seen it. It's it's not very good, but it's so fun. Um, and he wrote the screenplay for Return of the Living Dead. And we directed Force. Yes, yes. And he also wrote the screenplay. Um, so he like he, he and he did Invaders from Mars. He did the screenplay. He he did a screenplay for Total Recall, Screamers, like he he's one of those guys who is a perfect a perfect fodder for this show because he died in two thousand nine and he kind of died in ignominy. Like I, he he got some cred from the old horror guys, but he didn't die doing what he deserved, which was like getting his second renaissance the way a lot of these old horror guys have gotten. Like he didn't get his chance to to really like show him that he could do it again um well and and so many of his movies have have lived far beyond whether or not they made money or not right like well and he was just involved in like you mentioned total recall like he was involved in scripts and ideas so much in the sci-fi horror realm without this like or not without this uh throughout this era and uh, I, I always kind of think of him as like the uh script writer screenwriter version of tom savini where, like, Tom Savini, who is well-known to horror fans, is, like, the reason why there was a boom in the 80s of, like, these gore effects horror movies. Like, the reason that slashers, the reason that, like, this became a big thing is really partially influenced by Tom Savini's work into kind of creating these amazing effects that that caused these things to be truly scary as opposed to, like, if you go back and watch, like – decapitations or uh, gross-out effects in, like, Corman movies from the 60s. Like, he kind of took the makeup gore effects baton and moved it forward considerably that kind of led to this boom. And then other people followed his work and everything else. And Dan O'Bannon really feels like that. Like, this kind of, like, switch that science fiction and horror took in the 70s and the 80s where it felt really just smart and creative. And there's just so many different, like... You know, science fiction before 1975, like, there there are a few examples of these movies that started to push at the boundary, like uh, Bava's Planet of the Vampires and some of these things. But you just end up with a lot of, like, 
uh, day the earth stood still forbidden planet like these, these very clean space exploration fantasy type stuff. And it does feel like O'Bannon and with Carpenter and Scott and a lot of these other people in the seventies really took, uh, really took it to this level that allowed, you know, it's, it's, it's not a stretch or even a surprising thing to say that the, the stuff like alien stuff, like total recall stuff like, um, Return of the Living Dead, like, just expanded these genres in these way – in, like, a Pandora's box way where everyone started pulling from that. Yeah. The the, the the impact of Alien on the surrounding culture is un- unfathomable. Like, a lot of people credit Black Christmas and Halloween for kicking off the slasher trend. But, like, Alien is one of those movies that I think helped inspire – horror filmmakers in subconscious ways and conscious ways like the way that it does jump scares is so indelible to the human consciousness like it is essentially a slasher movie in space like it's 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 far more of a slasher movie after you know in the second half than it is a sci-fi movie it's essentially about a crew trying to come up with whatever the hell they can to stay alive and then there's a few cool twists in it the movie is full of great twists by the way yeah um Dan O'Bannon really came up with, and, and Ridley Scott as well, like, they really came up with these, an insane amount of, like, cool plot moments that, like, at the time were probably just to keep the movie interesting, but, like, rippled throughout the ages. Like, we- So, can we can we talk about the, I think, the twist that it's definitely not something that does, I'm not going to say it doesn't get talked about, but I do think that the, the, the smartest part of this screenplay... Um, not design, not directing. The smartest part of the screenplay that also I think led to a natural expansion of the universe in later sequels is the is Ian Holmes' character because it's a twist that happens in the last 20, 30 minutes of the movie. Obviously, Ian Holmes uh, has not been acting very uh, normal, but you can kind of just see him as this like medical person, this doctor who just scientist who is just so interested that he starts throwing out ethics out out the window and i think when he explains when he's found out to be an android and then recontextualizes the distress call we saw at the very beginning not a never a distress call always something planned for them to go try to take back uh, an alien species and a weapon of war and the fact that this this corporation that they've been working for has you know sinister overtones and stuff like that it really takes what's happening in the movie and expands it out in a way that the budget or even the the confines of the script and the story of kind of this haunted house movie could never do because that really is the part that it goes from oh scary there's an alien loose and it does that very well to feeling like this sense of doom and that sense of doom of like this has always been stacked against you someone kind of knew what this is you guys were always expendable. Uh, that's horror. And and that feeling of hopelessness is what I think takes this movie that would be very well regarded no matter what, but really is like the cherry on top of its classic status. It's what makes it a Sunday, I think. I think so, too. I think that that is what – constant feeling of added hopelessness but without a feeling of of some sort of tricksterism it just feels like they've been in this this corporate box 
uh, the whole time. They didn't even realize it, right? Like they realized that they were probably getting screwed on pay. Yeah. Or like that's uh, that's something I want to touch about right now because in, in terms of impact, one of the greatest impacts this movie had, similar to what the impact Star Wars had, it made space dirty and grimy. Yeah. It got away from the disco and, you know, Flash Gordon era, like glistening ships and shiny hallways and, you know, aluminum and all that. Like, it stepped the fuck away from all that. Yeah. And into, this is a nuts and bolts working class ship. Like, working class is the biggest, if you had a word bubble for this movie, I feel like working class is the bubble for it. So, that, so that's actually the Pat Oswald thing I wanted to bring out. So, he has this great article he wrote for uh, the AV Club's inventory book that came out, I think, like 2006 at this point, about, like, the five mini uh, movie revolutions that nobody talks about. And one of those is Alien, and that the the big revolution that, that Alien brought to the science fiction genre wasn't amazing monster designs and it wasn't this. It was the idea that's, that working in space could be a job. And that working in space could be this thing that you fucking hated and you did it for a paycheck. And that was something that really hadn't been done in movies before. That there was always a sense of wonder and excitement. And even in the sci-fi horror movies, like, it was wonder and excitement and a sense of, you know, bringing forth the American dream or blah, blah, blah out into the universe and – trying to better mankind, and even when they were met with something horrific, that was a setback to these noble goals. Star Wars did a little bit of this with uh, kind of Han Solo, but even he likes being a swashbuckling pirate with this ship. He and likes his on. dirty, shitty yeah, ship that yeah. might not start on time. Like, like, yeah, he's not he's not doing it for noble purposes, but he still likes being an adventurer. And these fucking people just want to go home. They want to go home. They want to collect their paychecks. They don't want to do something that in any, any, any science fiction movie, space movie that came before this, if there was a distress call, everyone on that crew would have been to go, let's go check it out. That's like the Star Trek thing. That's all of those movies from the 40s and 50s and 60s. And this was like, fuck those people. Like, why did you wake us up? Let's go back to sleep. And it's not because they're uncaring. It's because we're like, we're space truckers. We're doing mining. Like, it's not our jo- we're not a rescue ship. It's not our job to do this. Like, let us just go home. That truly was the most revolutionary part of this movie. And it's true because, like, the alien design is insanely cool and, like, the sliminess and the H.R. Geeker influence in there has, like, clearly been rippled throughout um, how we designed monsters after that. But really, it's the working class vibe. It's Yafet Kodo and Harry Dean Stanton working below the ship, ripen and bitching and moaning and smoking cigarettes and uh, trying to see if they could flip Ripley because Ripley is second in command, like trying to flip Ripley to see if she, she'll help him. And Ripley's just like, I, I'm just a fucking cog in the wheel. Like she like, Rip, that's one of the reasons we like Ripley is she's just like, she's self-aware of the fact that she has a shitty job. And yeah. like, that's just sort of like, we can identify with that. It's like Peter from office space, right? Like you can, you can identify with the sort of like resignation in Ripley. Um, and Yafit Kodo and Harry Dean Stanton are really like the color of the movie. Like they are, they are the center of the movie's style and a lot of its, its themes. Um, the movie is about <laughs> we'll get to it but the movie is about how the alien is a a sexual predator 
that penetrates men and women alike, um, impregnates men and women alike, and it gives men a terrifying feel of what rape and sexual assault is like, yes, like that stuff and that, that works on you on a subconscious level. But the other half of it is that this is a working class movie about people who get fucked over by their job. Like they didn't say, oh, let's go check out that planet. It looks pretty cool. Every minute on their way down, almost every member of the crew, except for Ian Holm, who's a fucking robot, and uh, John Hurt, who's a scientist, are like, are like, I don't really want to fucking do this, but... If we won't get paid if we ignore this, like I, I will have spent years away from my family for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that part is so so critical to the movie's success that they don't they don't want to be there. That space is it's just a job. It's just like anything else that you have to do. That there's not always excitement and glory. Uh, and you're right, like. The corporation is just your shitty boss, and Ian Holm is just like the guy they bring down from HR who's like there to be your friend, but secretly trying to figure out who's going to be fired. And like that's probably a surprise of its own in Aliens is that Paul Reiser is not an android. (laughs) They put the android stuff right up front. They're like – But you expect him to be evil. Yeah, Lance Henriksen – because Lance Henriksen is a terrifying man and mostly plays villains. Yeah. Um, But Sigourney Weaver – Yeah, let's let's talk about Sigourney Weaver. She is okay. So she is great as our working class hero because, uh, as many people know, this movie was actually not written with a woman in the lead. None um, of the characters had genders. They, but because of smart casting and just you know having the right conversations and people being open minded, they discovered Sigourney Weaver, who is like a true talent. Like. I called uh, I called uh, Michelle Yeoh last week a queen. Like Sigourney Weaver is also like a queen, like a god among among people. Like she is, she's good in everything. She's interesting in everything. Like yeah. she she's like there, there's every every year goes on. I'm like, what's this movie, The Death and the Maiden? And then I watch it. and I'm like, okay, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. She can do anything. She can play like sexy and charming and cool but she can also play like a fucking cold blooded killer she can do whatever and she's amazing in it and she has that that face it's just like the moment that she starts crying at multiple points in this movie because it's great because because in this movie unlike aliens this is one of my things i really like about this movie in aliens i i feel like making it about maternity kind of weakens it and making it about just her being a human being who got fucking shit on by a corporation, a bad twist of fate, and just an inability to keep up because of l- human limitations. Mm-hmm. Like, she just starts, like, wailing, crying, and p- forcing her body to f- continue moving forward in multiple scenes. And it makes you like her so much more that you're like, she's not a, she's not a robot. She feels something. But she's not being stupid. She's doing what she's supposed to do, but she's feeling every moment of it. Yeah, she's the only one that's kind of like everyone else kind of throws the the look, let's just do whatever we have to do to get home, including break protocol. And she wants to get home as much as anyone else, but she's the only one going, hey, there's a process. Like that process is for our safety as well. And you guys aren't following it. I, I was actually amazed looking at it this time. Um, how much it is unclear that that Ripley is to be the lead. It actually feels like she's the third lead, right? Like it feels like Dallas, 
and Ian Holm are the major leads, and then John Hurt and Sigourney Weaver are like are like the next. Like if they were being billed that way, they would be next to each other. And then Yafit Kodo and Harry Dean Stanton are like the comic relief. Like that that she is not going to be one of the main characters. She's just like the voice of reason. And it is it is great how that. The second Dallas goes in that great scene, which still made me jump 10,000 feet, even though it's a little goofy in retrospect uh, this time watching it, you you are like, oh, did our lead just die? And then the other person that you think is getting a lot of screen time is going to be the lead ends up being a bad guy. So it is really great how she kind of emerges as the lead and the protagonist by the end of the movie. Protagonist, because that feels more appropriate, but it it. it it does feel surprising. It does. Uh, and, and the other thing, you know, I as I was watching this, like, I couldn't help but, like, wish – I couldn't help but fucking wish that there was a way to, like, erase a movie from your mind. So, the trailers for this didn't show that much, which was really cool. So, there really is a good chance that, you know, when you saw this in theaters in 1979, there was two things you didn't know. One, you didn't know that Ripley was going to become the lead. But then, two, you didn't know what the fucking alien looked like. And that part, we we joked about how quickly he goes from a little boy to a big boy. Man, that that part is so effective when they're looking for the little tiny alien that they think is going to be the same size as the face hugger, and then the mechanical Giger design unfolds from the pipes, and what you thought was ship background is actually this monstrous like alien of something that you've never seen before so much bigger than the last time you saw it so much bigger like what was that like and then i was thinking about that the whole time i was watching it because the movie is constantly full of shocks so uh the the chest the the fucking face chest, yeah. Uh, yeah sorry the face hugger goes on uh then when they cut the face hugger's tendon it's it's tendril whatever uh the acid blood bleeds through the floor Mm-hmm. Then they finally get this fucking thing off because it dies on its own, and they uh, and then they like poke it and dissect it and everything. Like that's its own shock. You're like, well, the alien's dead. The al- yeah, the alien's dead, right? And then the chestburster scene happens. The thing fucking runs away. Then you have this Harry Dean Stanton scene where he gets murdered. But let's not forget, the thing gets revealed. It sh- it's huge. And then all of a sudden, it opens its mouth, and there's another mouth yeah, in the fucking mouth, and then it punches through him, and then the cat is just watching the scene happen, and you're just yeah. watching a cat's face, and you're like, oh, we're watching two predators. We're watching two, like, I get, I get it now. Well, um, and then you finally see the whole look just for a second when Dallas goes to look, and it's like, where is it? They're on the, the thing. It's on the thing. It's getting closer and they can't figure out because it could be coming from uh, a bunch of different ways because it's in the pipes. And then it's also all a it 2D image, not a 3D image. For, honestly, I think they made a huge mistake getting rid of all digital things and making everything LCD in the future. That's just me. But, um, <laughs> but you know, must yeah. happen. Must have been some war. Must have been the LCD war. Yeah, replacing uh, replacing their their uh, LCD screens with light brights probably not a good idea. Yeah, we don't know what happens sometime between now and twenty one twenty two. But there's that part where like the, the, you finally get a full look at the alien, and the alien 
just kind of opens its arms like it's going to give Dallas a hug really quickly. That scene is so fucking goofy looking in retrospect. However, I jumped 10,000 feet in the air when that I did too. I did too. It is so – you know it's coming. Like you know it's coming and it is the the only time I think in the entire movie where – Ridley Scott tried so hard not to ever make it look like a person in the suit. I think it's the one time that fails. Yet somehow it is the scariest part of the movie from a jump scare perspective. And the fact that it is an actor in a suit is interesting because it is just a very tall Nigerian actor named Balaji Badejo. And he – yeah, he was uh, born in Nigeria, died in Nigeria. He was six foot ten. He was super skinny. So like he, they just like put this big, heavy, rubber, awful suit on him. It just made him work his ass off. Yeah, he didn't really do anything after that. It was just Alien. Yeah, like, and he did like a couple like uh, interviews or whatever before he died, but. Nobody really cared about him as a physical performer, but he sells that stuff. Like, he makes the suit feel alive and the way he moves just doesn't feel like – it doesn't feel like a dude in a suit for 99% of the movie. Yeah, that is the – it's crazy that everything else, it does not feel like a person in the suit – and the only time it does, it's the scariest part of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, because his his hands are just spread out like – because it's just like, so perfectly edited. Like, even sitting there going, oh, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. But, like, it happens before you think it's going to because it's so fucking good. And then the fact that the alien is on the Nostromo's escape pod. Yeah. Oh, like that that uncoiling scene is so – they do – and they do that trick twice, right? Because that's the Harry Dean Stanton part. He's in the foreground – there's all these things that look like the ship in the background and finally it uncoils itself and stops blending in and kind of stands up and you recognize, holy shit, what the fuck is this thing now? But then they do it again and it works both times. It also works because it had been a bit since I've seen this movie. For some reason, I remember the shot of the alien writhing on the floor after it gets blasted with the the hot air or the pressurized tanks or whatever, yeah. writhing on the floor under a strobe light. And I remember that, that terrifying image of just like this thing just like – it looks like it's just like made of snakes or something. It's just yeah. like panicking. It doesn't look like a person having a seizure. It looks like an actual like it, – it, it looks like a monster. There's no way to describe it other than it looks like a fucking monster. I remember that image, but I totally forgot about the fact that it blends in with the pipes. Yep. And it scared the shit out of me when the pipes started moving. I forgot about it entirely. Yeah, it is. I kind of did too. Like, I forgot that they did it again. Like, yeah. the first time the first time I was like, yep, that's that's where it comes. And then when they did it on the, the shuttle at the end, I was like, fuck. I, for some reason, I didn't think he was, he was coming out of there. So, let's describe the alien. The alien is uh, almost all black, but he's not no eyes. black. No no eyes. It has a large phallic head. It's it's like a here. Let me let me try this. Have you guys seen the movie Aliens? It looks <laughs> a lot like that. But like the, what the about details. Alien 3? Are, but the details are so interesting because it's it's rib like and bony, and you can see like the the structure of it. Like it has a bug like quality in some ways, but also 
It has a, a a mammalian fish quality. Like it has like almost a like it looks like something that should not be. And you're like, what is the evolutionary purpose behind the tongue punching head? Yeah. Or the acid. Like I like when Ash is like, yeah, well, they're the perfect weapon. Like that's why we want to do research on them. And the implication that they've been designed by some other species that then ate them which, you know, obviously grows further, especially in the Prometheus stuff. That that acid part is, is again, this, this movie keeps piling on hopelessness after hopelessness. And the acid is the first part of that, where, where you're just like, oh, well, what do they do? The fact that they can't even cut them off is fucking terrifying. Yeah, the fact that you were set, you feel at the mercy of this thing at all times, because even if you kill it, you could irrevocably damage a ship that, like we were talking about last week, with Sunshine, if one thing goes wrong in a spaceship and you can't fix it, good fucking luck. Like, you are just floating in space at the mercy of a uh, evil megacorporation? Yeah. Uh, so, good luck. I refer to movies like uh, the, the, the new It... Uh, the Andy Muschietti movie as like a haunted house movie where it's just like it's throwing everything at you. It's just like there's a hundred different types of scares. This is like a lean, mean, like primal horror movie. Like there's something primal about it. The, the, simpl- the simplicity that like stuff just grew from it. And that, that shows, I think, the um, the Walter Hill influence. Yeah. Because Walter Hill was all about like cut it, cut it down, cut it down, keep it lean, keep it mean, focus on the drama. We're not focusing here on 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 you know we're not here on big plot. I mean, but the, the crazy thing about this, and one thing they said on the commentary is like this movie couldn't be made today, right? Because it is a two-hour movie. It's not ninety minutes. Like there's a ton of buildup, a ton of time to build suspense and terror. The, the scenes with any sort of alien. So that includes big alien, uh, face hugger, little baby alien eggs. It takes up four minutes of the movie. So you have a, a two-hour movie that's 156 minutes of no alien. And the rest is people talking, shots of the planet, them on the spaceship. And that really is what makes it work. The way they are so effectively using these scares and effectively using conversations to keep adding to it, adding these twists to to keep you interested. But they, they talk a little on the commentary about, like, you couldn't make this today. You would need more aliens. You couldn't make – people would want to see this more. And we see that today. Like, there, there are – it's even hard to go back and repeat this, right? Like, how many people were pissed about the 2014 Godzilla movie and they were like, look, it's, it's a two-hour Godzilla movie. There's only eight minutes of Godzilla. Or and, and it was like a big internet fight, and it was like, yeah, that's like that's what I'm trying to do. If you see Godzilla for 50 minutes, it stops being special, it stops being scary, it stops being surprising. Um, and then you look at like the success of 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 I think some directors who have tried to really go back to these like slow and deliberate building scares, like uh, Ty West's first couple of movies, like in the um, the House of the Devil and the Innkeepers are really good examples of longish movies that use empty space and no horror and no monsters to build dread. But like, this really feels like this really feels like something that again, they kept going bigger and then they would sparse it down for alien 
uh, for they sparsed it down for Alien Three to just let's go back to basics. One alien, then they made it bigger, and then they made it versus Predator, and then they made it about uh, the space jockeys and all these kind of things. And I, it 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 feels so singular because you can really only do this sort of thing once. Yeah, I think the the primal lean mean nature of this movie makes me feel like it's it is the only way you can do it is make John Carpenter's The Thing. You make yeah. a different movie that takes place in a different franchise, but it and obviously different directors, but that is also John Carpenter and Walter Hill are, are brothers in a lot of senses. Like they uh, they both were into that lean, mean simplicity, and the thing is, is feels like a brother to this movie where you're like, it's a bunch of workmen just doing their thing. It has no pretensions. There's no long conversations about it. As much as I love the, the the philosophical shit of the later movies, like there's none of that. It's just like. Let's get to this fucking monster. Let's figure out what it is. Yeah, I just I just want to play chess and drink. I don't yeah, want to exactly. solve mysteries. Yeah. So the the only problem with the thing compared to this movie, no Harry Dean Stanton in the thing. I mean, there's no John Carpenter in this one, so it feels like they even out. Yeah, it evens out. Or not John yeah. Carpenter, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. But but I but also accurate John uh-huh. Carpenter is not an actor in uh, in Alien. That's true. Even though it was a misstatement, it's a misstatement of fact. How great would it be? I like Tom Skerritt in this movie, but how great would it be if Kurt Russell was Dallas and then he dies partway through the movie? Like that would even further Honestly, your honestly, shock. I don't think it works because Tom Skerritt has the 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 best part where you kind of see that the the protagonist lens is shifting is the part where like Ripley gets mad at Dallas for letting the alien and the face hugger in on John Hurt. And she's like we have like a command. We have things we need to do. That's what this does. Like you are the captain. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm the captain of a mining mission. Just he's the science officer. I don't give a shit. Just let me go." And I feel like you're right, Kurt Russell in in thing mode works a little bit. But at that moment, like Tom Skerritt has just never looked weaker and like more resigned. He really feels like a, a man who is about to go into bed and sleep. And it doesn't feel like he doesn't care. Like a Kurt Russell, I'm too I'm too I don't care about this shit. Just do your science stuff. I'm a I'm the captain. He really just feels like, look, I am like a fucking suit they put me in charge of this fucking cubicle unit like don't look at me like i don't and i think kurt russell would have trouble portraying that because kurt russell always feels a little bit like he knows what he should be doing yeah i mean that would work but like i do have a lot of faith in like workman kurt russell where he's just like yeah i'm just another player on the team but i think that does help highlight why tom scarrett is so good in this movie and that's that's that he seems to understand that people are going to take him as the protagonist, but he's yep. not. And I love the fact that he's like, even his character seems to be like, I don't want to be the fucking hero here, man. Yeah. Like, he, and then when he, the t- I love that moment where Ripley is like, because clearly Ripley admires his, it, Ripley wants his command. I think Ripley thinks she'd be a better leader and she would be. And Ripley thinks that um, he doesn't, he doesn't care or he's not grabbing the situation by the horns enough. Yeah. And but she's not she's not doing it in a mutinous way. She's just like I. She's like, what the fuck was that? Like, yeah, yeah. We agree she, this presentation would be in Excel. 
Yeah. You brought a <laughs> Word document? <laughs> oh, and you're just you're just kind of holding your laptop backwards and, and flipping through pages on Word. You're not even using the projector. And he's like, he's like, I can't even figure out how the goddamn thing works. And you're like, you come a couple minutes early to the meeting and figure it out, Tom Scarrett. Yeah. He's he's like, look, I'm I'm in IT. I don't give presentations. Like, we've been practicing for weeks though, Tom Scarrett. <laughs> I love it. And anytime he gets mad, he just gets mad when people are bickering because he's just like, I just don't want to listen to it. He does have that that Kurt Russell in the thing vibe where he's just like, I just want to go back to my space cabin and drink space hooch. You know, you know, who was supposed to play that. So Tom Skerritt turned it down uh, and then they did a rewrite of the script, offered it to someone else who turned it down at the last minute. And then they went back around to Tom Skerritt. Do you know who that person that almost took it was? (laughs) Burt Reynolds. Harrison Ford. That he would be pretty good in that. Harrison Ford's really good in movies where him and Tommy Lee Jones are both incredible as I don't even want to be in this movie and it's improving the movie. Yeah, I mean that I, I could see Harrison Ford, especially 1979 Harrison Ford, be like, I don't know, just go do your thing. I don't want to be captain. But again, I think Tom Scared is so perfect because it's it's just I think it's hard to all of a sudden think of someone as the leader. And the captain, and then in a single moment, all of them be revealed for like the spineless corporate stooge that he is, and that and that moment's so perfect. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not even like, and it's not like the Paul Reiser thing where he believes in the corporation. He's just no, like, it's like the fucking Nuremberg defense. He's just like, yeah. I'm just here to do my job. Yeah, I'm the captain of a mining ship. Yeah. Ash is the science officer. Let him yeah. decide what to do. And, and I think that the sympathy I have for every member of the crew is that I do get the sense that they live in an economy where this is – these are the jobs. Like, not necessarily everybody's in space, but like, this might be slightly better than whatever, like, nuclear waste cleanup or – Earth must be pretty shitty if we're well, like sending people this far out for resources. But if you, it actually feels more like the uh – Deadliest catch oil rig, like uh, when when all the oil was found in North Dakota and there was like that little mini oil boom, like it's probably a place that people can get rich really quickly, right? Yeah. Just by doing shit that no one else wants to do. No, in this case, I, I'm assuming mining is a semblance of danger, but also like they have to miss how many years to go do it because they're in hypersleep for so much. So, it's probably a way for working class people to – to make a lot of money in a way that they couldn't um, otherwise. Yeah, I, I always read the economy of it as they're not rushing back to be like, I got another job offer. Nobody's talking about any other job offer. No, they'll they're probably like, go spend all their money and then go on another uh, mission. Which is how the economy works for most working class people yeah. because they just don't have – you don't have a safety net. That's how the country is turning again. The country is turning again with massive uh, income inequality. Uh, it's turning again towards a large portion of the population, if they're lucky enough to have a job, have to live paycheck to paycheck. And I trust these guys are just like, what the fuck else am I going to do? Also, do they even mention Ellen Ripley's daughter in this? No. So that's something they added in Aliens, which is something I don't really like about it. The, the my fi- but it the thing I really like about it is that like in Alien the context of Aliens it's it's great but in the context of this movie I get the sense that Ellen Ripley's just like 
I got this job. I want to be really good at it. Like, I don't get the sense that she, like, left someone behind. Uh, but I, I think they all did. They just weren't supposed to be gone for that long. Like, they yeah. talk about that, like, they just want to get home to their families. I, I don't I don't think it's at odds or takes away anything from her character in this. I have some problems with the way it's presented, but we'll be doing Aliens, so I'm sure we can get into that for good. I still jump. love Aliens. Yeah. I, I just love the lean simplicity and how little you know about these people's internal life, but you know how they react to crisis, which makes crises. But that's all makes, you need to know, yeah. Yeah, which makes it so much better because they're all great actors. Like I, I weirdly – I yeah, I weirdly think actually that like – the stuff about her having a daughter and like losing her to age as she drifts off is really good. That is um, great. I, I think that part actually works the best. Becoming the mother figure to Newt, I'm a little less uh less into. Though like, I like it, Newt. I mean, no, it does it the rescue scene is like one of the best That's Look, it's, it's fast sequences great. in film history. And I'm glad that we get there, but the theming behind it, I agree, it, it yeah. leaves something to be desired. I'm the, sure theming behind, the theming behind, the theming behind, I've been gone for 80 years, and how much have I lost? And then the idea of the big corporation still trying to do that thing that caused you so much personal loss—that awesome, like very good, good theming, good story, really resonant. Then, like, I found a new kid. I'm the mother of. Great scenes, well acted, love Newt, don't like the themes as much. But we'll get there. Don't worry about it. Uh, the last really big thing I want to talk about, I know we're getting running a little short time, and, and this movie is fucking alien. We can talk about it forever. But, like, I just – we've talked about watching this on HD and on bigger screens than we had. It is amazing how fucking good every special effect, landing on the planet, the uh, the space – Space jockey scene, the the way the planets look, the intricacies of the face hugger. It is it is crazy that special like CGI special effects I don't think have still caught up to this fucking low budget movie from 1979 with just how the planets look and everything else. And uh interesting, I, I didn't know this, and again it was totally ruined for me on tiny screens for much of my time watching this movie. But that space jockey set was 24 feet and the studio was like, don't put it. And and Ridley Scott fought for it. He said, no, this is like the Cecil B. DeMille moment. This is where everything feels bigger than we're going to have the budget for for the, for the rest of it. Like I need to be able to show the scale. And so that whole like landing on the planet, the way the planets look, the huge set with the space jockey and, and everything like that, like – that does make it feel enormous, but it's just – God, it still looks so good. Like it doesn't suffer from being being on bigger screens and being in more resolution than it have, ever has been. If it anything, like you said, where it, it benefits Blade, from it. Yeah, it has the Blade Runner thing where you're like, if you do this shit right, you do the nuts and bolts, you don't hide behind resolution, uh, guess what? You can You can create serious magic. Like, I just – I just – I still am always just amazed because even the facehugger and everything else, like when they're doing the autopsy, how it moves, like nothing here special effects-wise is dated and I just don't – it almost makes me angry. Like I don't understand it. Like this, we talked a little bit about 2001. How do these fucking movies look so good and why do so many movies nowadays not look this good? Like <laughs> what – why can't we do this as much anymore? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I know the, the answers, but like, it's still just like, how? This is forty years old. Forty years old this year. 
Yeah, and the answer is they don't give a shit. They just want to make the money as fast as possible, and they don't care how it ages. Yeah, they don't, they don't care. And and for and in some senses, it's like why would they care, right? Like, um, and I I can guarantee you also in. 15 20 years there'll be people that have a weird affinity for this this era of marvel cgi there will be people who be like i just love the look of how that cgi is and like i'm not there yet you're not there yet i'm not looking down on those people but like the stuff that our parents used to think is cheesy like the practical effects that our parents used to think is cheesy which is wouldn't be alien uh impresses us to no end because i'm just like they actually fucking made this dog wolf monster or they made this dragon or they, they they made this weird effect where the jaw and this thing opens out and blood squirts out when it does X or fucking like we get so impressed by the fact that this is something that's tangible. And it, um, it does feel like it, it was kind of making a comeback, though, like say what you will about The Force Awakens. And I'll say a lot of positive things because I like that movie. I know that J.J. Abrams and all those people going like, we're having sets, we're building models, we're building puppets, like was a direct reaction to make people calm down about the prequels before they released a movie they wanted everyone excited for. But at the end of the day, like, all that stuff looks really good. (laughs) Like, Force Awakens looks pretty good. Last Jedi looks pretty good. Like yeah, they do. Are- they both have they both have great sequences where you're like, thank you for not just making all these these individual CGI. Like you actually sat down and worked out. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the in Last Jedi. The uh, green titty milk thing is it a ban ban not a bantha? What is the creature? I'm not sure because it's not in the original movies. When I was super nerdy and knew everything, but yeah. bantha's a thing, Peter. Yeah, you are it's right. Not a it's uh, Ban- Bantha is uh, is like the snow camel thing, right? It's like the big like oxen thing. Yeah. Okay. There we go. But it feels like I mean that's Disney, that's Star Wars. It feels like oh, this is what people want. I wish they would do more of it. And you know, even the stuff that doesn't look like like the the scene at the end of Prometheus where the alien pops out, like it doesn't look bad. I'm not like ooh gross. This looks like terrible early 2000 CGI, but it doesn't feel like it's happening in that hospital room scene. And that's always the problem. Like this just feels so in your face. Like when they are dissecting that face hugger and stuff's moving around, it feels like in your face when, when they, when, when he puts his head in the egg and you get a little bit of like uh, tendril movement before it jumps out you feel just so it just feels so immediate and scary and that camera shot of putting your face in the real egg feels scary it's just it's you know i I hate to be old man at the sky so much but i think sometimes when you watch a movie like this from 40 years ago and you're like they had no money (laughs) everything looks amazing i just wish there was more of this yeah, because it's just crazy. We've gotten so much worse at it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hungry for it in a way that I have never been in my entire life. Like because every time I go watch one of these big budget CGI movies, I'm impressed by the level of what they've done there. But I feel no emotional connection to what the creatures but, are. But here's the thing: I know it's. I don't think it's just big budget CGI movies. Like how many movies do we like, Peter? That has like fucking. Uh, MacBook Pro uh, Final Cut blood CGI stuff added to all their squibs and stuff like that. Like, it is just like 
Like you squibs make it look a little real. It's so it's so frustrating. Like even what was uh, Suspiria? Like God, I loved Suspiria, but God, I wish there wasn't so much CGI blood. Yeah, yeah. The CGI blood in the new Suspiria is uh, kind of troubling. Any other quick moments that you'd like to discuss? Um, quick moments. Yeah, I do. Um, oh, so I really want to talk about this, this, the slowness of this movie and how it feeds into the dread. So it, it takes 15 minutes for them to land on the planet's surface just to get the first person killed, like, you know, 10 minutes later. Yeah. And they're so deliberate about step by step by step. And, and it's it has such a slow, creeping dread. And by the end of the movie, you still don't know that much about any of the aliens. And you know, zip about their home world zip and the fucking movie it's so good so the fucking movie has this like score and instead of going for the the majesty of space or that 2001 thing the john williams epicness they go for this like slow creeping dread this lovecraftian cosmic horror that like you don't you're not going to understand what's happening in this movie but you're you know you're going to want your hero to make it out alive and i think that kind of transitions me into my final thought which is i want to talk about ellen ripley i want to talk about how fucking good sigourney weaver is as ellen ripley and why we fell in love with her and kept wanting her to come back and come back and come back and that's that ellen ripley is at first just another member of the crew like yeah she has some resentment for people's uh incompetence uh she has some resentment for people's inability to take this situation seriously and actually do good strategy and maybe listen to her ideas and yada yada but she she knows what the fuck she's doing but she's still in these situations where she panics and she's trying to figure out shit but she's just pushing forward and pushing forward and you can identify with her so much and i love that they don't girlify her she doesn't care if she's being girly. She's a fucking leader when the team needs an actual leader. And she's like, she's doing this scene. There's a scene where she's actually like, Lambert is freaking out because Lambert is like kind of a, like a stereotype of a woman in a slasher, unfortunately. She's just melting down, refusing to help, like just freaking out. She does help kill Ash, which is pretty cool. But other than that, Lambert is is kind of useless in a, you know, in a practical sense. Ripley is incredibly useful in a practical sense. And you get that. She get, she seems to get Lambert's terror because she's like, listen, I also want to break down and freak the fuck out and just not deal with this. But we need I need you to pull it together. And Yafit Koto immediately responds to that scene. He's just like, yeah, you're in charge. <laughs> you're the boss. Um and she, the scene when she turns the bomb on and then she she runs around the ship and then she kind of panics. She's like, oh, shit, I need to turn this bomb off or I'm going to blow up. And then she tries to turn it off and it doesn't work. And then she just freaks the fuck out and starts screaming. And she's like, well, yeah, I guess I guess I have to go through with my plan is the mo- is one of the most human scenes in film. Mm-hmm. Like. I, how many times are you have you done that in your life where you're like, I'm going to try and be the big guy here and then you retreat and then you're like, shit, it's too late to retreat, too late to retreat. And then you have to just own yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's perfect. So wh- one thing we sometimes like to joke about in this show is like Roger Ebert, who is probably a hero of both of ours. Um, almost definitely. Especially Defin- as a Chicagoan because I like would watch him on TV all the time. Yeah. He really – I mean – 
there is no other person, and this is true for a lot of cinephiles, that, like, got me into more movies than Roger Ebert. Like, his website, sometimes.com slash Ebert. I used to type in all the time and look at his great movies and movies that got four stars and really, like, obsess over watching these and reading his prose about the way he talked about movies was, I think, responsible for hopefully making me not just a movie fan, but, like, a movie fan that does that sees, like, that loves movies. I think sometimes a lot of critics are, like, trying to, uh, you know, score movies on a definitive scale and, like, most movies are bad, but I'm the critic trying to find the good one. And, like, Roger Deber just sincerely loved movies. He loved the way that he related to them. Huge hero. But for some reason on this show, most of the time when we bring up Ebert, it's to make fun of him for uh, <laughs> for disliking a movie that we think is good. Um, or, or the opposite, liking a movie that is terrible. Uh, and I just think that's because we find that interesting as someone who is right, you know, 80% of the time, at least, or uh, that when he was way off base, uh, that it was, it's, I don't know why it's amusing to us, Peter, but it clearly is because we've been doing it for years now. Uh, this is a movie that he wasn't a huge fan of when it came out in 1979. He didn't dislike it. Uh, we talked about what it would be like experiencing it in 1979. For Roger Ebert, it was like, this is a haunted house movie in space. Very good job, folks. Uh, nothing to write home about. Uh, but it's also one of the rare movies that he had a mixed reaction to that upon revisiting it later, he was like, oh, never mind. This is a fucking masterpiece. And it and eventually made its way into, into his great movie series. And I think that kind of works as a final thought. Like, this movie is so good that what started as something that got a lot of mixed critical reactions, I think just because they've never really seen anything like that. And it, it has so much depth for such a sparse movie that like going back to it, he was like, never mind. All wrong. This movie's a masterpiece. And yeah, that's what it is. It is a it is a masterpiece. It is something that it, it hit on something in our imagination at a time when we were we were really getting ready for more science fiction based on what our what budgets and movies and and everything else could, special effects could accomplish and like took it in this turn that made it scary in a way that the Star Trek motion picture and Star Wars and uh, Superman the movie and these big budget uh, movies that were getting a lot of science fiction components added to them or were set in science fiction universes weren't. It's not just about this movie. It's not just about the series that followed it. It really like th it, this entire month that we've been doing space horror exists because of, of Alien. Like this is I, I'm not saying no one would have ever thought to make horror movies in space or set in space and, you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. But like, this is what changed it in such a in such a in such a way that like we are there is still alien ripoffs, good and bad happening all the time because it's just uh, iconic. Yeah, that's well said. We're this this movie. Everything sprouted from this movie. I mean, like Event Horizon rips off Alien as much as it does Sunshine, or you know, rips off Alien as much as it does any other movie, um, including Hellraiser. And uh, 
Sunshine also rips off Alien, and like those movies are both better for And even it. stuff like, we ended up not doing, like Europa Report. Yeah, yeah. And all of them pull from this because there's something so appealing about the aesthetic of it. And there's even movies that I want to do on the show, like uh, Outland with Sean Connery. Yeah. That, that movie is a straight up just like, what if we made a cowboy movie that's set in the Alien universe? It's not literally in the Alien universe, but like... The ship looks a hell of a lot like what the Nostromo would look like if it had to stock, you know, 500 people instead of 20. Yeah. And the it's about a shitty space corporation and it's it's about the nuts and bolts of being in space. Like all, all of that stuff would not exist without Alien. So, like, it's pretty incredible to, to do a movie like this and not just spend – It'd be pretty impossible to do a movie like this and not spend way an inordinate amount of time talking about its influences, right? Like, how how do you, how do you not? Yeah, we've only done a few movies that are like this big on this show, like Night of the Living Dead. You know, that was like big just in for its cultural impact, and I think this, I I think you could make the case that this is the biggest because uh, just everything pulls from Alien. I mean, I think the only way we're going to get bigger in this type of movie is when we someday do Jaws. Like, that's about the only thing that in, like, this kind of, like, creature horror movie dynamic, like, like this pulls from Jaws, but that's about as far back as you can go. Uh, but yeah, we're done with space horror, Peter. Unfortunately. But next week we have a different horror starting uh, in April, which is like, what is even reality man month? Yeah, it's like, yeah, man, like just because like, is is the blue you see the same blue that I see? Uh, That's called the color paradox, Peter. And uh, it just shows you that there's a lot out there that can just blow your mind right all the way open. I'd love to have my mind blown um this whole month by such films as the matrix oh yeah the the princess and the matrix the princess and the matrix uh Uh, joined by guest zach zach attack is back zach attack back in his attack zach attack back again gonna have a snack jack Jack directed zach attack i hope Um, he has a snack before he comes on so he has an appropriate amount of blood sugar to to have a great rousing conversation with us yeah please don't have too much blood sugar yeah because you know how you get when your blood gets all sugary (laughs) well then people start coming up to you and asking if they can you know have a little tap Want some of that sugary blood. Yeah, that's what vampires are about, right? They just want blood sugar. They're just sugar addicts. Yeah, yeah. That'll give you that'll give you vampire diabetes. God. That's yeah, how we the talked, that, we talked about we stayed up too late. Let's just yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. That, that's how that, that huge vampire in Blade that just sits and watches TV all day and plays on the computer all day. <laughs> that's that's where she that's where she came from. We don't talk about that enough, but that guy that lady rules. Yeah, um, she's great. She she knows she's living forever, just yeah. being constantly online. <laughs> I totally forgot about her. I rewatched Blade uh, like last year for the first time in a long, long time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she was like in one shot in all the previews. And I'm like, what is that? Uh, But yeah, Blade's good. But yeah, then we're doing uh, The 13th Floor, which is the other What is Reality movie that was released in 1999. um, Literally a month after The Matrix that uh, 15-year-old Aaron thought uh, he liked 
better than The Matrix for a very short period of time. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that. And then we're doing, oh, wait, hold on, checking my notes, the other 1999 movie about uh, reality not being reality, David Cronenberg's Existence, which I'm very excited to rewatch. I haven't seen that in probably 15 years, but I loved it. And then we're rounding out the mouth with a little bit of a different one. Uh, what is reality? That it did not come out in 1999. Uh, but it's a it's a twofer. We're going to do Tron and Tron Legacy uh, with guest Connor Malcolm Crockford, who hasn't been on since uh, we did Death Race 2000 back in 2017. So uh, total oversight on our part not having Connor back on in a while. His, but His ban has been lifted. Yes, and once again, man, we will not be explaining what the ban was for. Explaining what the ban was for, but we will say he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, we'll we'll say this is definitely on us more than him. But unfortunately, we cannot be subject to the ban because we are the hosts of the show. Yeah, um, Aaron has only been banned for one week before. I knew it. Uh, One week ban. It's been one week since we banned you. Have <laughs> you been listening to a lot of Neil Cicerega? Uh No, I unfortunately just the uh, just just the, the actual ladies? bands. Yeah. Hmm, uh, anyway, in nineteen ninety nine, buddy, I was watching the Thirteenth Floor, praising Craig Bierks, and uh, listening to Stunt, the Bare Naked Ladies' fourth studio out, al- fifth studio album. <laughs> well, I think it goes. Wait, let me just check. I think it's Gordon. Maybe you should drive Born on a Pirate Ship and then Stunt. So I'm getting Rocks back to call their fourth album, which was a live album. So it'd be their fourth studio album, fifth total album. We I'm t- really glad that that, that that made it into the cut. The uh, final, the final edit of this episode. I'm really glad that it made it. I don't know. Maybe we'll end with the Bare Naked Ladies episode. Yeah. Maybe. maybe or a song. A whole, whole episode of Bare Naked Ladies. A banal. Yeah, all right, well, you know, good night, and may a flight of aliens sing you uh, by chewing into your skull and having their mouth go out your mouth to your rest. Yeah, and Nostrom alone. Good night. Drove downtown in the rain, 9.30 on a Tuesday night, just to check out the late night record shop. Call it imposing, call it composing, call it insane. But when I'm surrounded, I just can't stop. It's a matter of instincts, a matter of conditioning, and a matter of fact. You can go where Pablo's dog. Ring a bell and I'll salivate. How'd you like that? Dr. Landon, tell me I'm just a Pentagon Cause when I am lying in bed Just like Brian Wilson did Well I am lying in bed Just like Brian Wilson did Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, 
Uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.